Hey guys, it's Ed and I'm coming to you from the Temporary Drunk Gossip Studios here in Detroit. And there, like, Hollywood has gone crazy. Um, Ariana Grande gave a wide-ranging interview with Vanity Fair. Um, and it, she actually opened up a lot about her past relationships and why and she talks about thank you next her hit album and what she says about it though is kind of surprising like uh, it's kind of surprising but if you're an artist you're you're also going to kind of get it so um this comes just on the heels of the death of mac miller um the album comes on the, on the heels of the death of Mac Miller and her breakup with Pete Davidson. And she says that it was such a volatile time in her life that she doesn't really remember any of it. Let me, let me read exact quotes from her for you. She says... My friends know how much solace music brings me, so I think it was an all-around, let's-get-her-there type of situation. Um, there was Jungle City Studios, which is just around the corner from her apartment. And apparently her friends wanted her to grieve for Mac. And, and grieve a little bit for her relationship with Pete Davidson. Um, and then she talks about the memories of, or lack of memories, of recording Thank You Next. She says, but if I'm being honest, I don't remember those months of my life because A, I was so drunk, and B, so sad. I don't really remember how it started or how it finished, or how all of a sudden there were ten songs on the board. And then she says, I think that this all... This is the first album and also the first year of my life where I'm realizing I can no longer put off spending time with myself. Just as me. I've been booed up my entire adult life. I've always had someone to say goodnight to. So thank you next was this moment of self-realization. It was a scary it was a scary moment of wow, you have to face all of this stuff now. No more distractions. You have to heal all of this shit. And you know, I I can honestly relate. I was I was in a relationship for most of my adult life too. Um and I never until recently I never really allowed myself time to dig into why those relationships failed or what happened. So when I did, it was, you know, and it seems like Ariana is going kind of through the same thing like, "Oh, Oh, it wasn't all them. It wasn't all me. You know, there was a lot of bad stuff going on. Especially since um, him alleges that Pete Davidson was just using her for fame and got her hooked on drugs in order to keep her um, under his control. And allegedly she was devastated when she found out. Um, 
and she even kind of alludes to that. She says, um, this is before she and, um, before she and P got together, apparently. She said, my friends were like, come on, we're going to have a fun summer. And then I met Pete, and it was a, it was an amazing distraction. It was frivolous and fun and insane and highly unrealistic, and I loved him, and I didn't know him. I'm like an infant when it comes to real life and this old soul. Been around the block a million times artist. I still don't trust myself with the life stuff. Girl, welcome to adulthood. None of us trust ourselves with the, the real life stuff. We just kind of pick and choose our battles and move along. And, and that's what adulthood is. You just pick and choose and... <coughs> oh, would not be an episode without me coughing, apparently. Um, you just pick and choose your battles and you move right along. And, you know, and that's just that. As sad as it sounds. And don't be too sad because I'm going to be right back. And I'm back. And this um, in this segment, we're going to do a follow-up to Cameron Boyce, the Disney star who passed away over the weekend uh, to, um, with what the family called an ongoing medical ailment. Um, I, they, they didn't use the word ailment. They used the word condition. But that doesn't take away from the sadness of, of what actually happened. Um, I'm saying I'm a lot just because I, this story is so sad. Apparently, Cameron had a seizure in his sleep, and that seizure was caused, um, because he was, he had epilepsy. Now, epilepsy is not, it is not a, a condition that we talk about a lot. Uh, as a society, uh, we tend to, we know people are epileptic, and there are certain things that we do to to make life easier for for those who have epilepsy, but it, it's not one of those conditions that, um, for lack of a better way of saying this, are sexy. You know, um, MS has a lot of representation, especially... Um, on daytime with Nikki Newman from The Young and the Restless um, being diagnosed with it. Um, and, you know, AIDS, cancer, um, those diseases drive a, a lot of stories um, across TV. But I cannot think of one big example of um, of, of epilepsy driving story or being part of a character's arc. Which is sad because there are a lot of people who have it. Um, uh, you know, one of my aunts has, um, has been diagnosed with epilepsy and we, you know, generally speaking, we take good care of her and we make sure that she's safe. But, you know, again, there's, there's not that representation. You don't always hear about it. And I, I don't know why. Um, I think 
I, if I'm being honest, I think it's actually because MS, cancer, AIDS, those are diseases that, first of all, drive fundraising. They also, um, they also allow the character to act the way they normally do. Um, and not, you know, there's not too much that has to change within the storyline. Um, but back to Cameron, his family says... Um, the yesterday the the autopsy was completed, but the coroner held off on releasing a cause of death until this morning. And the family said that Cameron's pa- Cameron's tragic passing was due to a seizure as a result of an ongoing medical con- condition. That condition was epilepsy. And then they continue to say, "We are still trying to navigate. We are still trying to navigate our way through this extremely heart wrenching time, and can continue to ask for privacy so that the family and all who loved, who knew and loved him, can grieve his loss and make arrangements for his funeral, which in and of itself is agonizing." And again, I can't even imagine. Like twenty years old, twenty year old Ed was a wild child. And this, this man, Cameron Boyce, is, seemed to have been a saint. And I'm not just saying that because he passed away. Um, you know, every single one of his co-stars has come out, just like um, Christoph St. John, and said, this was a kind man, this was a great man. I'm better for knowing him. And it's such a rarity that that happens. You know, we we often hear things like, oh, I knew him, or I enjoyed working with him, but very rarely do we, very rarely do we hear, um... Very rarely do we hear um, just everyone saying how much better their life was for knowing uh, the deceased person. And I'm going to take a break, and I'm going to come right back. And I'm back. And I sometimes I really love how two celebrity stories just cross over with one another organically. Um, it's just brilliant. So, the Meghan Markle story, as of late, has been her marriage to Prince Harry and her giving birth to baby Archie. Now, are any of us really surprised by any of this? No. Honestly, we all saw it coming, all right? Let's just be real here. But, and he knew there was a but. There had to be a but. Um, there is kind of a twist to this whole thing. Um, 
apparently, according to both Blind Gossip and Crazy Days and Nights, and multiple other gossip sites, Meghan Markle is hated. She's a bitch. Um, some have called her the C-word, which I will not use on this show unless I'm doing a direct quote from somebody else. Um, that was a promise I made, Will. I, I typically don't use that word anyways, but um, we were planning a segment and that word came up and I, I told him I promised I would not use that word. But anyway, and he's not a fan of British royalty, so when he hears this segment, I'm going to be in so much trouble. <laughs> anyway, so Meghan Markle um, allegedly is flouting the royal family's rules because she can. Because she is trying to not necessarily modernize them, but she wants to show that she's her own woman and she's going to do whatever the hell she wants to do. Despite what anyone else thinks or wants. Wendy Williams, of course, is going through her divorce. Um, so the opposite of the the opposite end of the romantic spectrum. Um, but her show is on fire, ratings are up, and it's one of those things where you're just kinda like Alright girl, do you boo? Um so, it, it's kind of interesting that Wendy felt the need to talk about Megan on her show. Here's what, well, here's what Megan said about her early career when she was a model um, slash working to be an actress. She said, I would put that in the category of things I was doing while I was auditioning to try to make ends meet. I went from working in the U.S. Embassy in Argentina to ending up on, on Deal. It's run the gamut. Definitely working on Deal or No Deal was a learning experience, and it helped me understand what I would rather be doing. Wendy, um, Wendy revealed today that one of the things that Megan auditioned to do was to be on the Wendy Williams show. Now, this is this in itself is not gasp worthy. Um, I'm sure that there are a lot of people who have auditioned to be on the Wendy Williams show. Um, but Wendy kind of gets a little shady, which I I personally love. Um, Wendy said she came here to be. On one of our models, we do the fashion, things like that. This was before she met the man, the redhead, Harry. But Megan knows Wendy show. Megan wanted to work here. And, first of all, Wendy acting like she doesn't remember Prince Harry's name. That's kind of, that's to me, that's kind of like acting like we don't remember the um, Donald Trump's name. We know his name. We may not like him. We may think he's a complete douchebag, but we know his name. So, I don't know what happened or why Wendy was being so shady, but I love it. And, you know, obviously this has nothing to do with the divorce, so it probably won't end up in the book, but... um, 
there's definitely going to, at some point, be a Meghan Markle um, deep dive because there are so many rumors and insinuations about her that you really can't ignore it. Um, and especially her part in the fallout between Prince, uh, Prince Harry and Prince William. That really needs to be explored. But for right now, I'm going to go and I'm going to come right back. And I'm back. So one of the things that Will and I want to do is start talking um, more and more about Media Matters because it's something we're both passionate about. And y'all, he's brilliant at it. We had a really in-depth conversation about the Hunger Games. And let me tell you, he blew my mind. Seriously, he blew my mind. Um, it's, it, that's, and a lot of people are saying, oh, you just say this to kiss his ass. I don't need to kiss his ass. Trust me. Um, I, I, say this, I say these things because they're 100% true. William is a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant man. Um, and I'm very lucky that he's a producer on the show because he really adds, um, he adds a lot of heft to it. And he adds a lot to my life. Uh, it, I don't always thank him enough, which I tell him all the time now that I don't say it enough, but he, he adds so much to my life and I'm very, very grateful that he's around. Now, that that's out of the way. Um, one of the things that we want to do is start, like I said, talking about, um, media more and kind of dissecting it a little bit. I'm going to do that, but I'm going to do it in a different way than what Will does. I'm going to look at the business end of it. In the recent years, there has been a rush, especially with the Marvel Cinematic Universe exploding the way it did. Um, there's been a rush to milk the franchise for all it's worth. Um, think Call Me By Your Name. That was a fine standalone movie that is suddenly getting sequels. And sure, we know that they're, we know that the main characters' lives went on, obviously. Um, they didn't die at the end, whatever. But I'm not sure that there's an interesting story to follow up on such on such a story. Um, I, but let me rephrase that. I'm sure there is. I'm not sure that we need to see it. Um, but, you know, it landed um, Timothy Chalamet and Armie Hammer Oscar nomination. So, of course, Hollywood is going to try to bring back an Oscar-nominated hit. And, and it's not just... Obviously, Oscar nominations um, are important, but that's not the only reason why the why Call Me By Your Name is getting a sequel. It made a lot of money. It was produced for fairly cheap. It made a lot, a lot of money for producers. Um, and one of the things that has been happening as of late is studios, especially with Disney swallowing Fox, um, what's been happening a lot more is 
production companies have been looking at old properties to try to resurrect. Tom Cruise and The Mummy was supposed to set off a whole new cinematic universe for Universal. Instead, it killed it. Um, A lot of the movies that were being planned and or scripted have been put on hold or in turnaround. Which means it's they're not happening. Um, and again, the ones that do make it, they aren't connecting with audiences. We look at um, Godzilla, the first... Well, I shouldn't say the first. The reboot in 2014 was a massive hit. Um, Skull Island, about King Kong was another massive hit. Godzilla, King of the Monsters, not so massive and not such a hit. Um, Men in Black, which is where I, um, the idea for the segment came from, Men in Black International bombed. Now, some people are saying, oh, it's not that bad, it's still open to 30 million. And, you know, it had new stars, and you have to adjust for that. I agree with all of that. However, the movie's not going to make back its budget, let alone its advertising. So when you put it in that context, it is a massive bomb. Sony is going to lose their shirt on it. Now, of course, they have the big hit, um, Spider-Man, Far From Home. Um, Spider-Man Into the Universe, or, I'm sorry, Into the Multiverse, um, did fairly well. So it's not like Sony's going to go out of business or anything. But, you know, the reason why Spider-Man is still so popular is because there are, first of all, he's part of the MCU now. So that definitely helps the grosses. Um, but there's also a lot of source material that they can draw from. There's a lot of, um, there are a lot of comic books. There are a lot of stories that people want to see out, play out on the big screen. Whereas with Million Black, it was an original property. And it was really big in the 90s and early 2000s. Men in Black 1 and 2 are, are classics, arguably. Three failed to connect with an audience. So was there really reason for a four? Here's the thing. I actually think... This, I think uh, Men in Black International could have been a big hit. Chris Hemsworth is sexy. He's a well-recognized star um, because of his time in the MCU. But I think what they failed to do here is give him a role worthy. And what I mean by that is it almost seems like they literally just transplanted the personalities from Will Smith and... Tommy Lee Jones, into the two new characters. There was nothing special or unique about them, except that they were younger, um, and the female lead was a person of color. And 
so when we talk about this, when we talk about franchising, we have to take into consideration that there comes a point when when you just have to let a franchise go. Um, if you want to reboot it, reboot it. Fine. But keep the original flavor. You know, if you wanted to reboot it, you what they should have done is paid Will Smith $20 million, pay Tommy Lee Jones whatever he wanted, bring them both back, weave, weave in Chris Hemsworth and the female lead, her, whose name escapes me at this time, and give them personalities of their own, have Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones train them, and then slowly back away. You know, so maybe Men in Black 4, we would have been introduced to him. And 5, Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones would have had a much more suppressed role in the films. Because when you're franchising something to death like this, and you throw new characters, it's not always going to connect. Look at Tales of the City, um, which I wrote about... um, in an article called What Tales of the City Can Teach Soaps. Tales of the City, first of all, is a 10-book series by um, Armistad Mupan. Or Mopin, or however you say his last name. And... With that... Um, there have been one, two, three, four, I think four miniseries. Not one of them has been a reboot. They've all been continuations. And part of the reason why they're so successful is because they use the same actors. And the latest that debuted on Netflix in June for Pride Month, Olympia Dukakis, Laura Linney, um... Both return to their roles as um, Anna Madrigal and Mary Ann. And, you know, that familiarity helps. Um, it helps connect the audience. Those two women have been in every single Tales of the City. That has come along. And for, for the audience, that's really refreshing. We know when we see Tales of the City, we're going to see Anna. We know we're going to see Marianne. And we know... Um, we know the actresses. We may not always agree with their choices. And we may not be happy with what the characters do. But because we know those actresses, we're like, okay, we're going on this journey with them. Um, in this case, again, the producers and writers were brilliant. They added in Shauna, who has been in the book series for quite some time. Um, and was introduced in one of the later miniseries that aired on Showtime. As the daughter of Marianne and Brian, 
No, she's adopted and she didn't know that. And they played right into that storyline. Going back to the mini, um, going back to Men in Black, that's exactly what they should have done. They should have played more into. They should have played more into it than what they did. Um, you know, again, introduce us to the characters with characters we already know and love. Will Smith is having a career renaissance with Aladdin. You know, it didn't open to huge numbers, but it stayed very consistent and is raking in the cash. And they could have probably coasted on that Aladdin. Um, that Aladdin fandom if they had been smart about things. I did not realize I had been talking for 12 minutes. I am so sorry. I'm going to take a break and I'm going to be right back. And I'm back. And I've been avoiding talking about the Jeffrey Epstein um, scandal because I want to save it for an all new um, deep dive. But this part of the story will be included in the deep dive. But I also um, I'm really fascinated by it. Um, and it seems like something that Jackie Collins would or should have tackled at, um, would or should have tackled in one of her books. Uh, but everything I've read, I, um, I haven't really seen, I haven't really seen anything about Epstein. I have definitely seen, um, Donald Trump show up in some of her books. Um... But we, um, right now we're going to talk about um, Jeffrey Epstein's friendship with Donald Trump. And we're going to start off with a quote, a, a very recent quote from Donald Trump about Jeffrey Epstein. He said that, Trump said that he, that he, quote, Knew him like every everybody in Palm Beach knew him. And then added, I had a falling out with him. I haven't spoken to him in 15 years. I was not a fan of his. That I can tell you. And... Um, here's the thing. As you can guess already, Trump is lying. I know, I know that's blowing your mind right now. Even hardcore Trump fans have to admit that they know he's he's not telling the truth. And here's the thing. Even without any further proof, the two were were highly, highly covered in, in page six and other gossip um other gossip pages, um, because sites weren't always a thing, um, back when they were, when they were friends, for years. So even if there wasn't a quote about Trump talking about how much he loved Epstein, you still knew that the two men were friends. Now, how did this friendship begin? And it honestly did begin... Almost like Trump said. Um, they lived close together. Um, 
in Florida. They they traveled in the same social circles when they were in New York. So them being thrown together um, and being friendly with one another is not a huge surprise. Um, honestly, it would be more of a surprise if they didn't um, come together as friends. Uh, but, you know, there's, there's so much going on here. There was, um, in, Donald Trump told New York Magazine in 2002, I've known Jeff for 15 years. Terrific guy. He's a lot of fun to be with. But he's even said that he likes beautiful women as much as I do. And many of them are on the younger side. Right there seems like Trump is admitting that he knew that Jeffrey Epstein was a pedophile. Now, in 2006, Epstein, for the very first time, faced criminal charges for unlawful uh, sex with a minor. And just a little side note, I'm not going to use young women or unconsensual sex because these are not women. They are females for sure. But they are teen girls. Unconsensual sex is rape. Period. I am not going to argue that with anybody. If if the female does not say yes or anybody, if anyone says no or does not say yes to having sexual relations that is rape period i'm sorry if that offends you but you you probably should not be listening to me anyways because you already know my feelings on things um but more going further into um both quotes it's really interesting that this relationship goes back 30 years where am I pulling that from? Well, Trump said that he hadn't talked to Jeffrey Epstein in 15 years, which would make it about 2004. Going back two years, he said that he had been friends with Epstein, or that he'd at least known him, for another 15 years, which would take us back to 1987. So that relationship should be around 32 years old. Um, if my math is correct. And for once it is. Um, but again, you know, here's the thing. I'm not one to hide my feelings about someone. And Trump is definitely someone who who gets my ire. And... Jeffrey Epstein, I really don't know much about. I'm learning more about him as I'm researching and and whatnot. But the, there have been rumors about him for years. Just like um, David Geffen, who Oprah is hanging out with. So that's going to be a huge scandal when and if that ever breaks. Um, but 
And it seems like there was the breakdown of the friendship between Epstein and Trump was because of the business deal. Now, last week, or maybe it was earlier this week, William Barr, the Attorney General, refused to recuse himself from this case, despite knowing um, both, obviously, both parties, um, Trump and Epstein. And Trump has been known to weaponize parts of the government in order to take down his enemies. And I'm wondering if, the, even though this is a good cause and something that I'm, I can get on board with, I don't want our government weaponized because of a bad business deal or something that Trump doesn't like. I, I don't think that's appropriate and I don't think that that's okay. If you do, that's on you. But I'm certainly not going to agree with you. And you, I, I just need you to know that. Um, but, so there was a bad business deal. But, and before that, they had plans. Trump was planning, well, one of Trump's partners, I should say, was planning a party um, I'm looking for his name right now uh, Mr. Horney and I know I'm pronouncing that wrong um, but Mr. Horney gave warning about Epstein's behavior he said I Mr. Horney told the New York Times I said Look, Donald, I know Jeffrey really well, and I can't have him going after younger girls. He said, look, I'm putting my name on this. I wouldn't put my name on it and have a scandal. And Horney said that he pretty much had to ban Jeff from my events. Trump didn't care about that. Um, and what happened was, basically, they they were throwing a party at Mar-a-Lago... Um, supposedly for a calendar girl event. Um, and a bunch of women were flown in, but the event ended up just being Donald J. Trump and Jeffrey Epstein. And Mr. Horney was not pleased with this. Because it was supposed to be, you know, A-listers and whatnot. And someone actually telling Donald Trump that he's not an A-lister tickles me in ways that it really shouldn't. <laughs> I'm going to get in so much trouble for that, but it's true. Anyways. So. Now, flash forward, Donald Trump is trying to distance himself from yet another... Me Too scandal and saying he doesn't know him he's not a fan of his and the whole thing just like most of Donald Trump's lies is so easily traced and um, proven false that it makes me wonder why he even bothers trying to deny it and honestly I fall into the category of he just doesn't care at this point. 
his supporters are going to support him. They're probably going to vote for him no matter what. And he he does the um what I call the air kiss. Where it's mwah, mwah, to the rest of the public, but he doesn't give a fuck. He does not care. Because all he has to do is convince enough people that the Democratic nom- the Democrats nominee is worse than he is. And he'll he'll sail to another four years in the White House. Um and there I have all sorts of thoughts on that. But for now, I'm not going to share them. Uh, for right now, I just want to say thank you all so, so much for listening. I really appreciate it. And so does Will. And until next time, cheers. <laughs>